How many of you know that the only constant in life is change? I mean, everything around us changes. Seasons change. Politicians change. The, the sports teams you follow, their success changes. Careers change. Relationships, friendships can change. There's change all around us all the time. One of the questions we have to ask, though, is can you change? I don't know about you guys, but I know there's all this, all this rave about all the Marvel movies. But if I had to say who was my favorite superhero of all, I would say it's Batman. Anybody else? Got like one Batman fan in here? A bunch of Iron Man fans. One of my favorite Batmans was Christian Bale. And, and if you know Christian Bale, he, he is a, a method actor. He takes on his character. And so uh, he adds and loses weight based on his character. So when he became Batman, he bulked up. Worked out multiple times a day, drank lots of protein shakes, and ate lots of healthy food, and he ended up getting to about 190 pounds. He was also in another movie later called The Fighter, where he became a boxer. And during this role, here's a picture of him in that role. During this role, he got down to right around 143 pounds, almost a 50-pound swing. And some of you, if you ever saw the movie The Machinist, you know, he got down to a, a sickly level of 120 pounds. They estimated that if you look at all the movies Christian Bale was in, that he gained or lost around 608 pounds total. So Christian Bale showed us you can change your body by eating, by working out, by whatever you do. But here's a question I wonder for you and for me. Can we change our hearts? Like, for instance, take the things that we see in our lives, the things that we don't love about ourselves. Maybe it's greed or it's lust or it's anger or it's frustration or it's fill in the blank. What is that thing that you wish you didn't have to deal with but seems to poke its ugly head out? Is that something that you can change? No, no matter how hard you try, is that something that you can, you can put your arms around and truly change? You know, has anybody ever heard the saying that a leopard can't change its spots? I think we, we, there's this idea in, in kind of our culture that, that a leper can't change his spots, meaning that, that you can't change you. This idea that you, know, you can change a lot of things about yourself, but you can't change your personality characteristics. You can't change your character. You can't change these things about you. So it, it almost leaves us with this idea that we're just stuck. We're stuck with the things we don't like about ourselves. We're stuck with those things that cause us the most frustration. And I, I think we have to ask that question, is that true? Because if so, it's super discouraging, isn't it? But yet, isn't there something inside of us that doesn't believe that? Like, really, isn't there something inside of you that thinks there's got to be more than just putting up with the ups and downs of the ugliness of the things that we deal with? You know, I think it's one of the reasons that we feel like we can white-knuckle it or if we tighten our boots enough or if we just work hard enough, we can figure it out. You know, that, ver- that, that saying, a leopard can't change its spots. Did you know that actually comes from the Bible? Jeremiah, a prophet, back around the time that the nation of, of Judah was taken into exile by the Babylonians, he wrote, once wrote this. He said, can the leopard change his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to do evil. And he, what he's writing to is he's writing to the king of Judah, and he's telling them that lots of ugly things have been happening. You've really turned your eyes away from God. You're not honoring God with your lives, and you're allowing all kinds of evil things to happen. 
do you really think that as a nation you can do good when all you normally do is evil? And I think it gets to this idea that can we change on our own if we just try hard enough when all around us we see is ugliness and difficulty and challenge? I think Jeremiah would say the answer to that is no. It was Jeremiah who once famously said in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, so who can understand it? So here's the question. If, if we find ourselves in a place where we have these things about our lives that we don't like, that we want to change, that frustrate us, that are uh, something that we just battle with, but yet our hearts are sick, then what can we do about it? Are we just stuck? Just figure it out. Just try your best. Because that's what Freud or Marx or Nietzsche would say. But I, I think as we open God's word today, we're going to see that I think Freud and Nietzsche and Marx got it wrong. But the, the difference is that you don't have the power to change on your own. Somebody has to help you. And one of the beautiful things is when we look at the words of Jesus today, we're going to see that it's Jesus who says that change is possible with his help. Now, that might be an interesting thing for you to hear. You, you, you might come into church and you might hear that and you go, well, hold on a second. You're telling me that just believing in a God is going to change me. You're telling me that just like coming to church or being part of a group or reading my Bible or praying to some spiritual deity is going to actually change me. How, how is that going to be any different than me just working harder to change on my own? But I, I think there's, there's something really important I don't want us to miss, and it's the words of Ezekiel, an Old Testament prophet, in Ezekiel 36. Notice what Ezekiel says. He's speaking. This is God speaking to his people. And here's what he says. He says that I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So there's this idea that I want us to try to kind of maybe wrap our minds around a little bit today. And it's this idea that we can change our bodies, we can change our habits, but we can't change our hearts. What we need is a heart transplant. Somebody say heart transplant. We need a heart transplant, and and we can't do that on our own. That is something that God and only God alone can do for us. And how do we do it? It happens through faith. If you were with us last week, we uh, a couple weeks ago, we kicked off a new series called Faith. And what we're just talking about, we're just exploring this idea of what is faith? What does faith look like and why does it matter? And what we're going to see today is it's through faith that God wants to move in our hearts. He wants to send us his spirit and he wants to change us from the inside out. And today we're going to see how this happens in an example of a man named Zacchaeus. And it happens in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab those. Open up to Luke chapter 19. And some of you might be familiar with the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he's even got a song written about Zacchaeus. He's kind of a famous guy. Uh, and, and if you're here, and here's what I want to say. And if you're here today and you just feel like you're in a place where you're stuck, that you're not growing, or, or, or that you just aren't seeing any change, I just want to challenge you to look at Zacchaeus. And I think there is something special for all of us to take home today. So, yeah, grab your Bibles. Look with me. Luke chapter 19, we're going to meet this, see this interaction that Jesus has with a man named Zacchaeus. Notice here, the first, the first verse, it says this, that he, Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector 
and he was rich. So we meet this man named Zacchaeus. Uh, what we find out about him is that he's a tax collector, and he's a very wealthy guy. And some of you guys know this, but in the Roman world, the Roman Empire would uh, appoint people who lived in that nation to be tax collectors. And you would bid for this position, and ultimately, you had to have money of some sort of wealth to even bid for the position. And once you got it, you could really raise taxes as much as you want. So tax collectors, from the stories we see of Jesus, were hated. They were disliked people because they were basically defrauding people. So a tax collector would be really outcast from society, and he would only hang out with other tax collectors. The, the priests hated him. The Pharisees hated him. The regular man and woman hated him because they took all their money. And so if Rome said, hey, charge 100 bucks, a tax collector could charge 200 or 300 if he wanted. And so it became a really ugly system. And this is Zacchaeus, the man we meet. Another interesting thing about Zacchaeus is it says he's the chief tax collector. Now, that doesn't mean he just roots for a winning team. That means that he is the person over other tax collectors. So he's kind of like the guy in Jericho in northern Israel. He is the one that, I always got to slide it in there. I'm sorry about that. He is the one that is over other tax collectors. So he is despised by people, and he knew it. So notice this, though. He sees Jesus, and he wants to go Uh, have this encounter with Jesus. So notice this. It says in verse 3, and that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And I love this detail. It's like anytime we see accompanying details like this in in Scripture, it's not to prove something. It's just to advance, it really kind of advances the story, kind of a first-hand account of what was going on. Here we see Zacchaeus. He says he's a short guy. He's in a crowd. He's trying to look over the crowd. He can't see Jesus, so so he climbs up this sycamore tree. I don't know if you guys have ever been at a concert or at a parade or whatever, and you're standing on your tippy toes to try to see over. It's not a very good view. And so he climbs up this tree. And in Israel, sycamore trees can grow to be 30 or 40 feet high in the air and have these low branches that you can climb on, great for climbing trees. And so he is in this area sitting up tall. But what is interesting about this is Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus so bad he didn't care what other people thought. He was already hated. He was already despised by culture. But he, he, he climbed a tree, which is something that Jewish men wouldn't do. You know, Jewish men weren't out running 5Ks, right? There was like this, this, once you got to a certain age as a Jewish man, you were um, kind of expected to show uh, honor and stability and these kind of things. And so these guys weren't working out. These guys weren't chugging protein shakes and wearing really tight T-shirts to the gym, right? Like these guys were like long flowing robes and like act, had sweet beards and they didn't climb trees. So here's Zacchaeus climbing a tree, and he was already hated by everybody, but now he's putting himself up for embarrassment. People are probably joking on him, like, look at this idiot, right? Look at him climbing the tree, right? Like, man, you know, he doesn't even have nice sandals on. You know, whatever it was, right? They're, I'm sure they were clowning on him, and he's in this tree. But he didn't care because he really wanted to see Jesus. You know, it, it is interesting. Sometimes in life when we know that we're not living the way God wants us to live, or sometimes when we feel like we're, we're far from God, we feel like, you know, God, the, the connection isn't there, that, that I've been kind of walking away, and, and I'm far from living the way that God wants me to live. It's really easy for us at that point to say, well, why even try? 
Anybody ever been there before? You're like, man, I'm just in the season. I'm just not feeling like I've, I've just got a good connection with God. I'm just going to, I'm just going to find other things to fill my tank. And we kind of walk away from, from Jesus. We walk away from going to church or spending time with other believers. And we end up just kind of doing our own thing. And we end up even, even kind of separating ourselves even further from God. There's something that, about Zacchaeus here, though, that goes, I need to be with, I need to see this Jesus guy. Now, now we don't know what his experience was. Zacchaeus may have heard that, that Matthew, Levi, one of the disciples, was a former tax collector. Zacchaeus maybe heard about all these miracles that Jesus was doing and all of this talk about new life and this kingdom of heaven. Zacchaeus probably had heard a lot about Jesus. And for Zacchaeus, he knew that he lived a pretty difficult life where he was despised by everybody and he had everything he could ever want and it still didn't fill his tank. And so Zacchaeus said, I need to climb this tree so I can see this man that everybody keeps saying changes lives. And so Zacchaeus climbs up this tree to get a look at the one who gave him hope that a guy like him could change. Notice what happens next. Zacchaeus is in the tree. Luke chapter 9, verse 5. This is so good. Notice what happens. It says that when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. So imagine Zacchaeus is in this tree. Now, Jesus didn't just like uh, walk the streets by himself. He had a huge crowd with him. Usually 120 people or more following him, sometimes in the thousands. And so they're coming through Jericho. I spent some time in Jericho. Imagine there's, there's a giant mountain range over here, and then there's like a desert with a couple of oases. And it was a really, um, it was kind of a, a very wealthy area. And so people are lining the streets, and there's this huge crowd coming. Here's Zacchaeus in this tree. Zacchaeus is just hoping to see Jesus. And guess what Jesus does? He stops right under the tree where Zacchaeus is. And you know Zacchaeus, that, you, ever, you ever like met a hero, right? You ever like met somebody that you really wanted to meet and said hello? What did you say? It wasn't what was in your head, was it? You're like, man, if I can just meet this person, you know, if I can just meet Josh Allen or whoever, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, I'm going to say this. And then you're like, hey. I had this interaction one time. I met Matt Chandler at a conference, and I love Matt Chandler. And, you know, everybody's in line waiting to meet him. And I'm over here looking, and I look up, and he's right there, you know. And I'm like, hey, man, I just appreciate your stuff. I'm sure he's like, I appreciate your stuff too, you know. Like, it was good to meet you. But, like, you imagine Zacchaeus is like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, and he actually doesn't have to say anything. Notice what happens. Jesus looks up, and he says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and he came down and received him joyfully. But notice what everybody else said, verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Pharisees hated this. The religious elite hated this. The crowds are like, what's he doing hanging out with Zacchaeus? But Jesus had a reason for this. So I think one of, the, one of the things we see about this idea of faith and change and lasting change is that faith that leads to lasting change steps into uncomfortable places. It, it was uncomfortable for Zacchaeus to climb the tree. He was going to get made fun of by everybody. He, you know, men of stature just don't do that thing. It was uncomfortable. But yet he did it because he wanted to see Jesus. He knew there was something there he needed to experience with Jesus. 
you know, there's a really cool scene in Mark chapter 10. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Blind Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus, this is in Jericho also. And in Mark chapter 10, we see that uh, Bartimaeus is, is on the side of the road, and he hears that Jesus is coming. So he starts crying out to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, Jesus, give me sight. And the crowds are actually like, shh, shh. You know, like, hush. Jesus doesn't have time for that. The disciples are like, hold on, Jesus didn't have time for this. He's got a place to be. And, and, and Jesus hears it. And he goes, hey, tell him to come here. And, and, and so it, it says that uh, he calls him over, and he, he runs. He, he actually gets up. He runs over to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him. He says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Like, it would have been uncomfortable for Bartimaeus to be screaming Jesus' name over the crowd. But yet he did it. And what happened? It changed his life. See, there's something about stepping into uncomfortable places, about stepping out of our comfort zone to experience Jesus, to be able to truly see how he moves into our, our lives. You know, if, if you think about it, we've built our culture on comfort, haven't we? I mean, you think of our homes, our yards, you know, our, our cars, we tent our windows, right? We pull our blinds down. We, we do all these things because we want to have our comfort, you know, we, we can uh, stop and eat fast food. We can sit on the couch and watch a show. We can buy on Amazon because it's really easy to do. But change means we have to eat comfortable. You want to change your health, you have to start eating clean. You have to start getting up. You have to actually go to the gym. You have to, you have to follow a budget if you want to change your finances. And it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable at first. I mean, how many of you guys went from, you know, doing no workouts to going to the gym four hours a week and just saying, this is great. I love it. I can't wait to get up again tomorrow, right? Like, man, this is terrible, but I got to do it. And so stepping out to, into an uncomfortable place is what leads to change. And the same is true with, with our faith. I was looking at some statistics this week on just like church attendance and those really, uh, since, you know, really easygoing topics that we love to talk about. And Gallup did a poll about church attendance and engagement. No, I want you to notice this. this is, you're not going to be able to see this slide very well, but I'm going to put it up here anyway. It said, it, Gallup found that in a study, 74% of the people studied said they believed in God. They didn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily saying they, you know, believe in necessarily the God of the Bible, but they believed in God. 72% of these people said that religion is important to their lives. Okay. Now, they were looking at Christians here. Out of the, the 72% who said religion was important to their lives, they, they asked about church attendance. And what they found was that 20% go to church almost every week. 41% say they go to church once a month, and then you can guess the rest of them say they rarely, if ever, yeah, no, 57%, rarely, if ever, go to church. And so they correlated this with just giving. You know, we talked last week about money and how money often can, can steal our heart and can become the thing that we trust in. And so notice what it, what it said when it comes to money. It talked about people who go to church and, and how that corresponds to the way that they give. And here's what they found, that 5% of, of churchgoers tithe regularly, that 50% of, of those who do go donate about 2% of their income. But notice this last one. It said that regular attendees give $1,700 more a year than those who attend less than once a month. So there is this correlation that if you go to church more often, you do give more, and that is to the tune of about $145 a month. It's not a giant number, but it's a big number. It's a big number. And so there's this correlation between, okay, what I do correlates 
to, to where I go and to what I give. And the idea behind it is that as you begin to kind of step into uncomfortable places, it begins to change your actions and it begins to change what you find is important. Those things that you see as valuable to you in, in your life and those that are, are spending more time at church are seeing that it's more valuable for them to financially support ministry, church, the kingdom, all of those things. And so let me ask you this question. If I was having a conversation with you or you were talking to somebody this week and you said that your health is important to you, but you, you never go to the gym and you never eat anything other than mozzarella, fried mozzarella sticks, which are pretty good, right? I mean, you got to admit, they're pretty good. But if, if all you eat is, is, you know, sugary barbecue, then would that lead to change in your life? And would it really mean that health was important to you? Like, we can say a lot of things are important to us, but if we look at the things we do, the way we live, the way we act, the way we spend our money, the who people we hang out with, it tells more than what you say. My grandma used to say, actions speak louder than words, right? Did your grandma say that too? That's good. You guys knew that one? So there is this, this reality, guys, that, that with our faith, we, we have to, to see that you can say a lot of things, but you have to live it out. And a lot of times it means you have to step into uncomfortable places. You've got to begin to do things you don't want to do. Getting up on a Sunday morning and going to church, giving financially to support a church, showing up in the middle of the night when it's cold for a life group, showing up early to, to make coffee or to serve or to do these things. Man, that isn't fun at first. But as you begin to step into those uncomfortable places, you begin to see that life change truly happens. It's not just when it's convenient, but it takes a commitment. So, so notice Zacchaeus has this interaction with Jesus, right? He tells Jesus, I'm going to stay at your house. And then the crowd grumbles. It's uncomfortable, but they go. Notice what happens next. So Zacchaeus and Jesus, they hang out. We don't know how for how long. But in verse 8, we see Zacchaeus has this exchange with Jesus, and it's super powerful. Notice this. It says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, he says to Jesus, behold, he's like, look, Jesus, I give half of my goods I give them to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, remember, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Zacchaeus was really rich because he had been defrauding people. He had been charging them more than he, than he should have been. And so something happens now. He's with Jesus. We don't know how long. Like Jesus could have been in his house one night. Like maybe they went and they hung out around the fire pit and they drank some Arnold Palmer's and they talked about life. Maybe he stayed a couple days. Maybe they just ate together. Maybe they had a big party. We, we, we really don't know. But what we do know is that something happens to Zacchaeus. How did it happen? It's because he was spending time with Jesus. Something happened. Zacchaeus spends time with Jesus, and, and, and Zacchaeus realizes, well, hold on a second. Man, I've been wrong. The whole way I've been thinking about my life has been wrong. He has this, like, this moment in his mind when he goes, man, I have, I'm sitting here talking to Jesus, and Jesus is telling me about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is telling me about how we're supposed to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which means everything, with my body and my mind and with my relationships and all these things. And Jesus is talking about all this goodness, this fulfillment that comes from, from living the way God has lived. And I don't have any of that stuff, and I think it's because I've been trusting in the wrong thing, like we said last week. And in this case, Zacchaeus knew that he had been overcharging people taxes and he needed to do something about it. So he's convicted of his sin, and so he repents. Somebody say repent. 
want you to notice this, that change comes from spending time with Jesus. Like if Zacchaeus would have seen Jesus on the road, he would have stood in the tree. Jesus would have came by. Jesus looks up at him, and Zacchaeus is like, what's up, Jesus? And Jesus is like, what's up, Zacchaeus? And then he goes on. Would Zacchaeus have done this? I don't know. I tend to believe he wouldn't have because he didn't have that time. You, you, you got to spend time with people to glean from people. And, and in this case, Zacchaeus gleaned away that his money, that money had stolen his heart. You know, last week, if you were with us, we talked about the rich young ruler. We talked about how money is, is one of those things more, more than others. It's not the only thing, but it's one of those things that has a way of stealing our heart. And what we see in the life of Zacchaeus is that money also has a way of sneaking its way into becoming an idol in your life. Somebody say idol. Not Billy idol. Idol. So John Piper defines an idol like this. He says that an idol is anything that we come to rely on for some blessing or help or guidance in the place of a wholehearted reliance, in in the place of a wholehearted reliance on the true and living God. So if you you look in your Old Testament, you'll see an idol like being like a wooden statue. You'll see an idol being a graven image, uh, being the, the golden calf, but I want you to drill it down to us today. It could be any of those things, but often an idol is something that most captures your heart's affection instead of God. So Zacchaeus is spending time with Jesus, and he goes, wow, I didn't even know until right now, but I had let my heart get stolen, and I had made an idol out of my wealth and out of my riches, and that had kept me from my relationship with God. And Jesus, I'm realizing that that's not the right way forward that you have a different plan for me. So, so Zach realized that his identity was wrapped around his wealth. You guys ever had an aha moment, anybody, this week? Anybody have an aha moment? I had one a couple weeks ago. Courtney, she's in the room today, so I, I didn't pre-approve this conversation. Probably should have. Um, a, couple, a couple weeks ago, we were sitting around, and we were looking at the calendar, and we realized that my, I had just filled my calendar with way too many things. And, you know, Courtney gives me that, that loving wife look like, is that wise? Are you sure that's, that's a good idea, you know, to have your calendar? And in and, and this conversation, I just had this aha moment, right? And it's not that I didn't know some of these things before, but, man, sometimes you just have those aha moments where it clicks. And, and, I, and I realized that one of the things I had done in just overscheduling my calendar and saying yes to way too many things is that I wasn't home nearly enough. And, and the reality is, wh- whether I want to say it or not, whether I realize it or not, when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. I had said yes to way too many other somethings, which meant I had said no to more time at home, spending time with Courtney and, and, and the girls. And at this moment, I kind of realized this, and you'd think I'd know this by now, but I, I realized this, right? And, and I looked at her, and I, I apologized, and I said, I'm sorry, now, am I completely nailing it? Ask her later. She'll tell you no. But I'm trying to get better, right? I'm, it, it, thank God for the grace in the process, right? How many of you know that God is so good to give us grace in, in the process? But, you know, repentance often is an aha moment. It, for Zacchaeus, it was. And I think for a lot of us, it has been. But, you know, it's just like you don't just repent one time. You never have to repent again because you got it together. Like, repentance is a process. You, you repent the very first time, and you recognize, whoa, Jesus, I've been trusting in myself and not, myself and not in you. But then that's just a lifetime cycle of, of checking our heart going, wow, I mean, I've been trusting the wrong thing, Jesus. I didn't even realize it. 
And so repentance is this idea of turn. Somebody say turn. To repent means to turn. It means to, to turn from thinking that my way is right and turn to following Jesus' way. And that's what we see that Zacchaeus does right here. He has this aha moment, and he wants to make this big decision with money. So notice, look at verse 8 again. Notice what he does. For Zacchaeus, his idol was money. That may not be your idol, but it might be. For, for Zacchaeus, his idol was money. And notice what he says. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What's interesting in Jewish culture, you're considered to be extremely generous if you gave 20% of what you had to the poor. And that if you were actually convicted of defrauding anyone, the penalty was 20%. So Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give 50%, and then I'm going to refund 80% to anyone that I defrauded. And a lot of scholars think that if you look at the way these numbers could have worked out based on what tax collectors collected, that he probably went into debt to pay this out. He probably gave everything away. He sold the Tesla, and he bought an old Civic, and sold his condo downtown, and bought a, bought a tiny home, you know, and, and those sorts of things. And, but this is what time with Jesus did for him. It helped him see what was first place in his life. And, and often when you recognize what's first place in your life, and if it's not God, you realize you've got to do something about it. For him, he, he said, I gotta give I gotta give this money away because it's getting in the way. It's an idol. For for some of you, it might be something different, but you can't just hope that it's just gonna fix itself. We can't have this aha moment and go, man, that's my problem. It's XYZ, and then just hope that it's gonna work itself out over time. We have to actually do something about it. And so notice I want you to see verse nine. Notice what Jesus says about this interaction in verse nine. And Jesus says to him, Today. Salvation has come to this house since he is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus gets saved here. It's interesting. Notice Zacchaeus never says, Jesus, I ask you into my heart, or Jesus, will you be my savior? There's never like a a say yes moment to Jesus. But what you see is this repentance, this moment where he realized that he had been following his way, and he realized it's the wrong way. Jesus, I'm going to turn, and I'm going to follow your way. And, and his action was to, to give away his wealth. But there was a hard attitude change where he realized that Jesus was the Savior, his Savior. And there's a faith that happens here. And so Zacchaeus, he, he has this faith that, that changes his, his heart right here. Now, I want, to, I, want to ask this, I want you to notice this. That there's something more than just like this intellectual assent that God is real. Right, like if Zacchaeus, like if he would have seen Jesus and would have said, okay, Jesus, like I, I recognize that you are who you say you are. You're doing all these miracles. You're doing all these things. I can see that you are God. But, but if that's where he stops, then you don't see any life change. And you have to ask the question, well, then is, was his faith real? Like did he truly believe? Belief is not just some intellectual assent that God is real. Faith and belief and trust is seeing who Jesus is and it's repenting. And it's responding. I'm going to dig in just a little here. You know, we, I think there's a lot of people who live like functional Christian atheists. Like we say we believe in Jesus. There's been a moment in our life where we put our faith in Jesus. And, and maybe we, we sell 
crazy life change. But then life went on, and we go down the road, and here we are six months, two years, 10 years, 20 years later, and we're just kind of living with this verbal acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord, but yet we're just living our life, trusting in other things, and we do not, we do not see any change. We're living like Christian atheists. We say we believe, but functionally, God has no place in our lives. But notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this. He says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What Paul is saying is that when you say yes to Jesus and you put your faith into Jesus, it changes you. That, that, that becomes something different about you. He, he talks later about how we put on the new man. Talks about that in the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians that we like we take off that we take off the old man like the old Drew the old stuff that I used to do or that I used to think the way I used to act and I start to try to put on Jesus like how would Jesus live in this situation how would Jesus act in this situation I try to put on my my faith and live it out my new humanity I'm part of a church and and so one of the realities that we see is when we recognize this about ourselves that we say one thing but we do another that's a chance to catch it like the check engine light coming on in our in our world and then we repent of it and we turn and follow Jesus and this doesn't just happen once in our life i think this is something that we can experience over and over again repentance isn't just saying jesus i'm sorry for messing up god i'm sorry for my mistake, forgive me. But it's also saying, I turn from doing that, and I'm going to turn and do my best to follow you. And God's, God's going um, to change your life when you do that. He's going to move in your life when you, you do that. Repentance becomes a lifestyle, seeing where we go the wrong way and then turning back. And I want you to see with Zacchaeus, it was about money. For you, it could be about something else. But for Zacchaeus, his repentance led him to sacrificially give away. And what we see is that he was joyful because of it. He was joyful to receive Jesus in his home. And he was joyful to step out and to sacrificially follow and give it all away. And so I I think there's this reality, guys. If we want to experience true life change, if you're sitting in here today and you're thinking, man, I've got these sins or I've got this ugly personality trait, or man, I just can't stop fighting with my anger or my lust or my fill in the blank. Change is possible for all of us, but we can't just hope that's going to happen if we get close enough to Jesus. We have to actually do something about it and trust that Jesus is going to give us the power to be able to succeed as we follow him. So here's a question I I sort of want to wrap up with here today. When you look at your life and you look at the way that you, you live and the things that you battle and the, the change that you have, are you more like Jesus? Or I'm sorry. Are you more like Zacchaeus before he climbed the tree? Or are you more like Zacchaeus after he came down? Which side of the tree are you on? Because before Zacchaeus climbed the tree, He thought everything was fine. He didn't care if people hated him. He didn't care if society looked at him the wrong way because he had his money and he had his wealth and he had his identity. But on the other side of the tree, he didn't care about any of that. What he cared about was his relationship with Jesus and being the man that Jesus called him to be. So in your life, are you like Zacchaeus before the tree or are you like Zacchaeus on the other side?
of the tree. See, to see change in your life, Jesus calls your faith into action. That's the only way you're going to change. We like to say around here, a goal without a plan is just a wish. Do you have a plan for how you're going to change? And if your plan is, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to get up earlier, I'm going to white-knuckle it, I'm going to tighten my boots up even more, I have a, a, a bad news for you. But that plan doesn't work. When I was in college, I, I had a buddy who was a, a personal trainer. He was an exercise physiology guy. And I really wanted to start lifting weights. And so I, I, I reached out to him and, and my buddy Jared, and I said, hey, man, let's start going to the gym. And so I asked him to draw a workout for me. And we're out having, you know, a soda one night. And he draw, grabs a napkin. He draws up a workout plan, something like this. He draws up a workout plan on a napkin. And I'm, like, super excited. I'm really fired up. Let's go. Let's go to the gym. And if you guys know, those of you that have, go to the gym and you ask me for a workout plan, they tell you, hey, you know, do three reps of bench at 10, 8, 6. That make 10 reps, 8 reps, 6 reps, varying weights, you know, if that makes any sense. You know, do different muscle groups, all these things. And here's the thing. My buddy Jared giving me that napkin just changed my life, right? I didn't have to do anything with it. I had the napkin. No, that's not how it works, right? Like, I had to go to the gym with the napkin, well, or take a picture of it on your phone. You know, it's like carrying a napkin around. But you, you have to go to the gym and actually work out. You have to go to the gym and actually do something about it. And I think this is what we see in Zacchaeus's life. Zacchaeus did something about it. If I just went to the gym and walked around and looked at enough people and figured out that that neck machine looked pretty easy, I'm going to go over there and do that. It's not going to get me where I need to go. But I followed the plan, and it worked out pretty well. Again, a goal without a plan is just the wish. And so the reality is that you guys aren't going to see the change you want in your life by just hoping it works out. You're not going to see the change in your life by just kind of showing up to church every now and then. You're not going to see the change you want in your life or just like being half-heartedly engaged in something. If you want to see true change in your life, you have to do something about it. And you have to put action Put your faith into action. So I want you to notice this. Like Zacchaeus, he, he knew that money had become an idol. And so it was the identity that he, that he brought. It was the things that, that he bought. These all were the things that he found his, his hope in. And he knew he had to get rid of those out of his life if he was going to truly be able to experience the life that Jesus had. And I think the same thing can be true for us. Whether it's money, it's a career, it's a relationship, it's the things that you have. It's the hope of the future. It's a retirement. What has become an idol? What is it that's filling your cup? What is it that has captured your heart rather than Jesus? Because lasting change only comes through intentionality. So we have to make a plan. We have to make a plan to put Jesus first in our lives. If you were here with us last week, we kicked off a, a, a three-month kind of campaign called 90 Days of Generous Living. And what we said was that we would love for you to consider walking along with us for the next 90 days and to generously uh, decide to commit to following along with us and, and making a financial commitment to see how God moves in our church, but also how God moves in your life. If you weren't with us last week and you didn't get a card, you can grab one on the tables on your way out. But it's simply just saying money has the way to grab our hearts like it did the rich young ruler last week and like it did, does Zacchaeus here in Luke 19. 
that the way we fight and stave off the temptation of money becoming an idol is to make a plan and a commitment to give some of it away. This week, we're going to send out a link with the budget. For some of us, I think that may be where it starts, saying that we have to make a commitment. We have to do something about it. We have to put something on a napkin that says what we're going to do or we're not going to see a change. And so maybe that starts with a budget saying, God, I'm going to give you X, Y, or Z, and then I'm going to learn to live on the rest so I can keep my heart focused on you first. Somebody else in this room might say, well, it's, it's a relationship that I have, or it's, it's, I have an unhealthy uh, idol I've made out of my career, or out of my car, or out of whatever, fill in the blank. And, and for each of us, we have to make that commitment. How am I going to fight? How am I going to stave off the temptation for something other than Jesus to be first in my life? Because if I'm not intentional, something will always slide in and take first place. For some of us, I think today may be a day when we hear this word repentance and we never have really considered what it means for us yet, but maybe you can have an aha moment today where you realize that there's something in first place other than Jesus. And what I want to do is to give us an opportunity to do a repentance together. This might be the first time you've ever said, Jesus, I realize my way is wrong and your your way is right. For some of us, it's just that we've allowed ourselves to drift and it's time to to recommit ourselves to following Jesus' way. For others, we're doing a good job of of kind of catching ourselves, to seeing those check engine lights, but what a great opportunity it is for us to be intentional and purposeful and being um, honest about repenting. So I want to do something that we don't do often. I want to put a, a prayer of repentance on the screens. And I would just invite all of us to corporately do this together. There's something kind of beautiful when we repent and we would confess to Jesus and we pray together. So I'd love to to have us all read this together. And then I'll close us in prayer. And as we move into the end of our time together this morning, we're going to have a prayer team in the corners. If there's something weighing on your heart, you've had an aha moment and you realize there's something that's gotten in the way of Jesus I'd invite you guys to come to the corners or to, to Darren or Mitch or I or one of our elders like Pete, and, and let's pray and ask God to help us to be intentional to put Jesus first. So let's pray this prayer of repentance together. Would you read with me? Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned before you. Wash away my sin. Purify me. And help me to turn from this sin. Lead me to walk in your way instead, leaving behind my old life and starting a new life in you. Lord, you who are loving and just, show compassion upon me. Shower me with your mercy.